Welcome to the RTS Washington Faculty Podcast, part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in a biblically and confessionally faithful way for the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I am the president here of RTS Washington. I'm joined by Dr. Peter Lee, Dean of Students and Associate Professor of Old Testament here. Hey, Peter. Hey, Scott. Good to be with you. Great to have you. Also joined by Dr. Paul Jean, Senior Pastor at New City Presbyterian Church and Instructor in New Testament here at RTS. Hey, Paul. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Also joined by Dr. Gray Sutanto, Assistant Professor of Systematic Theology here at RTS. Hey, Gray. Hey, Scott. Always good to be here. And I'm joined by Dr. Tommy Keene, Associate Professor of New Testament and our Academic Dean here at RTS. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Scott. Good to be here. Well, it's good to have you all here and to talk about a very prescient topic. As you all know, there's been a lot of discussion and debate and quite passionate uh, argument, we might even say, about whether or not churches should be gathering together again in this age of COVID. We've seen this online, on social media. I think some of us have seen this in local churches where the, the passions burn quite brightly in terms of just what does it mean to gather together? Should we be gathering together? Should we social distance as a, as a loving Christian community? Should we wear masks when we are together? What, what does it look like to be truly embodied humans, truly embodied Christians here in an age of social distancing and lockdown? So what we, do, we don't want to do is jump into all of the intricacies and details of this debate because it's going to be worked out in a lot of different ways depending on you know, your own resources as a church and the place where you're operating. But what we do want to do is talk about the importance of gathering physically together. Okay. I think something that could be lost in all of this is the real value of why we gather together for worship. So I want to put that out there first. What is the value of gathering together? What are some of the things we should look for when we're thinking about gathering together in Christian worship? I think one of the things we forget about when, when we think about worship is the corporate aspect. Um, we, we have a tendency to think about worship as kind of my, my activity before God, and, and sometimes the, the people around me are accidents to that. Um, they're, they're not necessarily part of what it means to worship, but the way scripture, of course, defines worship is as inescapably corporate. Uh, we, we gather not only with one another, but we, we actually gather with a, you know, a, a heavenly host as we worship, uh, that, a heavenly host that's unseen. And while that has not changed in COVID, we're still you know, gathered corporately for worship. We, many of us have done that virtually, and as a result, we feel that distance, we feel that detachment, and when we feel that detachment, we, it reinforces, in my opinion, our kind of American individualistic approach to me and God, and the, the idea that when I worship, I close my eyes, and I shut out the world, and I shut out everyone around me, and it's just this, this spiritual experience between me and the Lord rather than what it is, which is, you know, the, the, the heavenly host gathered, the, the ecclesia gathered before God. Um, reclaiming that, both if we're worshiping virtually, 
but also as we as things begin to open up and as we try to safely gather with one another in a manner that's you know respectful and honoring uh, honoring the Lord, you know, reclaiming that corporate aspect of worship is going to be an important task for us in the months to come. Yeah, it's interesting to me how when people talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in their life, it's usually kind of a personal feeling that they had or some kind of experience, or maybe if, you know, if you're more reformed, it's, it's the appreciation of scripture and God's word, the right evaluation of that. And yet when you actually look at how Paul talks about the role of the Holy Spirit of the Christian life, it's often through people being around you and like ministering to you. I remember a friend one time, this is at a community group that, of a church that I was in. And um, this is years ago. And a woman was talking about how isolated she felt from God and set off from God. And he seemed absent. And another woman in the group said, well, is it possible that having us around you to hear you say that and to pray for you and care for you, is it possible that that's the Holy Spirit being present in your life? And if you actually look at how Paul talks about the spirit and the role of the spirit in the Christian life, it's often through other people being with you and together with you. And that that's, you know, the spiritual reality doesn't mean non-corporeal, but often actually it finds expression in, in physical proximity and closeness and conversation. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I was um, in, in some of our earlier podcasts, I, I may have said, or maybe it was privately with you all that, uh, that I may have been enjoying these virtual live stream worships perhaps a little bit more than I should have. And, and the benefits, I think that, um, or the positives, I think we've all experienced in our own various different ways that, that was, you know, really uh, clear. The last two Sundays, uh, or the last several Sundays, I actually have had the opportunity now to go back and worship now with people in a reduced attended setting, uh, uh, as most churches are now doing that. And at the level of experience, it, it really was so different. It was like a breath of fresh air. It was like a lifeline that is missing. And and I'll tell you, I have the highest respect for our pastors out there, people like uh, our beloved uh, Dr. John here, the, the only real pastor amongst us who are really doing the work of the ministry out there and trying to, and, you know, when everything was shut down and, and, and we weren't allowed to gather and they took advantage of Zoom and live streaming and YouTube and all of the, the tech that was available to, to provide worship for God's people. Thank you guys so much for that, truly. But I think we all have at the same time acknowledge it's never going to be a replacement for just gathering together. I mean, when I was preaching, and, and I was preaching at these a couple of these other churches, uh, when I was sharing the Word of God, I have no idea what it's like to preach in the live stream setting. I've never really done it before, but in you, could, but you could see people interacting with the Word that you're sharing. Now, preaching is not really interactive. I mean, it's sort of a one-way medium, sort of. But as a pastor, you're you're kind of feeling the people you're seeing how they're responding you are affirming that you are you know you are encouraged by that uh to maybe just uh, add on a little bit more uh as as the members are sort of seeing each other you know you receive the word and realize that they alone are not the ones receiving the blessing of the of the gospel and seeing that the family a couple rows next to you is nodding their head in affirmation or they're all laughing at the right time and the right joke. And there's just something about being together that 
allows for some level of um, not just pastor congregate interaction, but congregate congregate interaction that's absolutely lost uh, when you're isolated, like Tommy was saying, in our own uh, separate living rooms, plus the fact that after the worship, uh, uh, I had a chance to interact with people and see the way they were talking amongst themselves about the worship and the word. And first, I was happy, I was so gratified they were actually talking about the word. <laughs> and but you wouldn't be able to do that if you were when you're worshiping virtually. You worship, your hour is done. Now, now that's it. And there's no opportunity to really refine each other. There's no opportunity to encourage one another. Uh, I had people coming up to me in, you know, God, God bless them. The word really penetrated their heart in tears, just wanted to talk about some of the things that were shared. They wouldn't have that chance unless we were together, physically together. And so uh, I, I guess just my recent experiences has just really validated. Yeah, the virtual worship has its place when all things um, uh, uh, in, under certain circumstances, but it can't replace uh, gathering together. And it's something we ought to encourage as, as soon as we can, uh, something that we ought to do. So. I wonder if theologically about this, and because there is this experiential side uh, to the component that we're, we've all been discussing. There's something that just feels different about doing it online. But I wonder also kind of theologically, why is it that we have been given corporate worship as, as kind of the means, the apex of our access to God? And the analogy that comes to mind is, is particularly sort of like family events. You know, there's, there's things that you do individually and personally for your own spiritual uh, edification, for your own you know, personal life. There's, there's things that, you know, I go to work, my kids go to school, and that's, you know, that's kind of packaged in there. But then there's stuff that we do together as a family, and it's inescapably family-oriented, right? And God has given to us the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, and the, you know, the other means of grace. He's given that to the church. That, that is, he's kind of carved that out as family time or corporate time. And those activities are defined, circumscribed, and essentially that. They're, they're not individual time. They are, they are for the body, for the corporate body. And so the sermon isn't a message for me. It's a message for us. And likewise, the sacraments, it's not me alone you know, eating. It is inescapably for us as a body to eat together. And again, I think we've all made the right call in in going virtual to to you know in this time, and yet at the same time, it does reinforce that individualistic approach to these means of grace. There's a connection in Western spiritualism and spirituality between the spiritual and the individual. It seems like, and the idea that there's this conflict between spiritual and corporate, I mean, individual and corporate and spiritual and physical, right? And, and you can, your spirit self is your true, true, right? It's your real self. It's, it's, it's the real thing. And so as long as that's being fed and that can happen on a screen or over a podcast listening or listening to a recorded sermon or something, as long as that's being fed, then the, the derived self, which is the physical is not really that important. And yet I think, in scripture, we see much more of a, you know, um, integrated person 
presented as to who we are, the inner self and the outer self are not two different versions of the person or something like that, or one's derived out of the other, but rather they're kind of inextricably connected together. And that's something that it's, it's hard for us to talk about, even in the, probably in Christian tradition, anthropology is probably one of the least uh, inquired about topics, right? And so I think that for that reason, we probably don't have as much language for it as, as we should. Dr. Sutanto can speak to this. But you know, the idea that when we gather together, there's something that's happening physically that is about our corporate nature and advances our corporate nature. And at least maybe it's kind of somewhat counter those you know, kind of modern sensibilities about the individual and the spiritual self that I think are so popularly sort of understood today. It's, it's, it's weirdly Western because, you know, the, and the way we talk about it um, is ingrained in how we think. You know, you are your true self when you are alone in a room. Well, who said that's true? That, that, that can't be right because I'm made as a, I'm, I'm made to be with others. I'm made for others. And that means that I'm actually partially at my true self when I'm alone in a room, but partially actually when I'm close to other people and the way I interact with other people, that's actually my true self. Yeah, I think these are fantastic reminders, right? I mean, first of all, we need to emphasize that to gather together is actually commanded by God, right? To observe the Sabbath day as holy, it's the fourth commandment. And I think when we understand the commandments theologically, we always understand that God has good reasons to give us these commandments. He has good theological reasons for them. He's good moral reasons. And he gives us reasons that are, and he gives us these commandments that are in, in comportment with how we were created, right? These are not arbitrary commandments, but they actually respect who we are as created as God's image bearers. And we're created as corporate people uh, in a way that reflects God's own unity and diversity, right? So, make no mistake that even though we are uh, saying that virtually right now we have to meet in this way, um, these are extraordinary circumstances, we still recognize that to meet together physically is actually a commandment that comes from God. But coming along with that commandment, we have to keep in mind what Jesus himself had said, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That we've always recognized that uh, this command to meet one another, if meeting one another, physically at this particular time, especially in an extraordinary circumstance of pestilence, to use an older term, right? Where meeting together might also mean stopping us from being able to meet one another in the long term, because meeting one another means exposing ourselves to a great disease and danger, right? Then we should recognize that, again, the Sabbath was made for man rather than man for the Sabbath. We should be able to recognize extraordinary circumstances where we could suspend meeting for one another so that in the long term we can come back to benefiting from this great commandment that comes from the Lord. So I think the best of the Reformed tradition have always recognized that uh, though this is commanded, there are extraordinary circumstances where the magistrate, to use again an older word, or the state can command us not to meet for the safety of one another, where we have another commandment uh, to preserve life, right, to not uh, murder. Uh, we need to respect that commandment along with the Sabbath day. And if the Sabbath day was again made for us and not the other way around, then we should be able to uh, respect the way in which all these commandments go together. And we should be able to desire, yes, meeting in the long term, but also to meet in such a way where we can preserve life. And I think technology here, again, if we respect the gifts of common grace, 
have allowed for that moment to happen where right. we can still virtually commune without at the same time, right, uh, 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 denying some of the essentials of meeting together, namely hearing the word of God, but at the same time, preserving one another from being exposed to this pestilence, because it is a serious thing. People are, if not dying, yes, the mortality rate is low. The sickness rate, however, is quite high and people are getting very sick. People are getting hospitalized. We need to respect that. Yeah, that's the fact that if this had happened five years ago, even we wouldn't have as great of an opportunity for online <laughs> worship as we have over the last six months, it's kind of incredible, actually, how how this thing happened right as we sort of got to the place where we were able to accommodate it. Praise God. That's a mercy of God. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, Gray, I was thinking about Second Chronicles 30, where you have this event where Hezekiah is holding a Passover, and for a variety of reasons, the people aren't ceremonially clean in time, and they're trying to draw in the northern kingdom folks into the Passover worship. They actually change the operation of Passover for this year so that they can include the most amount of people. Okay. And um, what's interesting is that this is presented as a good thing to do in the story. It's not presented as a bad thing. And of course, this is in the context of the book of Chronicles. It's not a story that occurs uh, in Kings and it's talking about, so it's post-exilic in terms of its writing and it's, it's, talking about how all of Israel needs to be involved in the restoration. That's generally understood to be one of Chronicler's concerns. But it's interesting to me that they, they celebrate Passover a little differently than they would have so that they can include the most amount of people. And the idea is that, oh, we're not now changing the doctrine of Passover forever, but that in this particular circumstance, in order to include as many as possible in a proper way, you know, they kind of, they loosen the constraints a bit of the festival, you know. And I think about that in light of this current situation, you know, the idea that, first of all, we want to make sure that people are continuing in worship and able to continue in being fed and nurtured. And this is a unique situation. And so we need to see it as such, right? We need to be responding to it as a, as a unique situation with unique concerns, unique fears. It's, it's extraordinary in a way, not in the way the confession talks about extraordinary, but it's an extraordinary circumstance. And yet with that said, we need to be longing to be together again in the, in, in the full way, right? In the, in, the, in the proper way to which we're called, that is when we gather together to proclaim Christ's death and resurrection. My, one of my thoughts here is um, this situation is complicated, but I think that a worthy question for anyone that professes faith, you know, wherever you stand on COVID is whether there is a sincere desire to actually reconvene. And this is, I think, one of those probing questions you have to ask, like, yes, uh, you know, COVID and whatever else, right? Or, but one of the things that the Bible talks about is when we are saved in Jesus, obviously we're brought into his family. And um, there's a sense in which we should either want to or know that we should meet together. And I think speaking, uh, I guess, more as a pastor, right, regardless of the actual decision people make, because the motivations are you know, varied and sometimes complicated, I think the honest question that you have to ask is whether you want to. Because... Um, you know, this is speaking to our consumeristic approach to the faith and so forth. But, 
in general, I think that believers might benefit from being a little bit more thoughtful about like why we should and why if we don't want to, that might be a red flag that there's something unhealthy to us spiritually. Again, like wherever we are, like if there isn't really this desire that in so far as it's possible, in so far as I can be responsible towards myself, my family, government, then I want to, or I should meet, right? Then I will. I think that that's missing. Uh, when I listen to, let's say a good number of people just think through this issue, uh, regardless of this, the decision, it's, it's odd that there isn't this sense, this undercurrent that you know, I should meet or, or I want to meet, right? And it's become almost purely a circumstantial decision. You know, so that would be my, um, I guess, invitation to just believers. Like, why don't you want to meet in the deepest level? Or is there any part of you that feels like regardless of whether you want to, you really should. And even if you decide not to, right, is there a part of you that's thinking, you know, this is temporary, but this is something I really should do. And I think people need to wrestle with that question a little bit more. Yeah, there's something about desiring to be together. And I think that's little bit of the problem too right i remember a pastor telling me about a you know a person he was counseling and and the, the person said you know it's not that i don't repent it's that i don't want to repent and he said well maybe that's where you should start you should pray for the desire to repent <laughs> you know so, and it's kind of obvious and yet i think for many of us too i know this has been my struggle before in life too sometimes i, I realize you know it's it's that I, I may not want to be in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Help me, Lord, to desire your beloved bride like you do. And, and it's really an issue of desire more than an issue of, uh, you know, of doctrine or doctrinal assent. Some words that have stuck with me since high school, actually. My high school youth, youth guy, uh, Tim Tinsley, he said, sometimes you might not want to obey, but you want to want to. And that little phrase has, has, I've put that in my little, my pocket, in my wallet, as it were, and yeah. come back to it. Um, even if, you know, I'm thinking about your, your question, Paul, why don't we desire it more? For me, personal confession time, just spiritual laziness. And, and you see, you see spiritual laziness throughout scripture. I think this one of the things that's, motivating the the book of hebrews is a, a kind of spiritual apathy that has settled in among the people there and so they've they're stunted in their growth uh, as a result that for me has been you know it's just so easy to flip on the the laptop and to worship in that way and i don't have to deal with nursery drama there's no drama like nursery drama you, know, you don't have to deal with the, the people that you want to see are, are great, but the people that, you know, maybe are harder to see, you don't have to deal with all those kinds of things. And so I can just be me and the Lord. But, you know, at the same time, that's not what worship is for. And so I've got to cultivate a cultivated desire to want to want to return, return to worship. That's a great term, Tommy, spiritual apathy. I mean, uh, I think not just with regard to meeting together and just being there physically to be, present and hearing the word of God, but also spiritual apathy with regard to pastoral cases like reconciliation, for example, it's so easy to justify your apathy when you're not meeting one another, when you can easily avoid one another. 
right? Because you're just at home with your laptops. But if you're meeting with one another and the word of God has convicted you, and let's say you have some kind of conflict that you have with another member of the local church, right? There will be something about the hearing of the word of God that will strike your spirit illumined conscience that will cause you in some way to want to want to, right? Have a reconciliation talk with that person you have a conflict with. And I think it's so easy for us to just justify our spiritual apathy precisely because we won't have those unconscious moments where we see that other person in the church, right? And we won't have that moment where we will inevitably probably, you know, make eye contact with them in, in, in the physical sense, right? And I think especially considering our church right now in Jakarta, our Zoom community groups are divided by location technically because that's what our community groups are supposed to be like North Jakarta, Central Jakarta, South Jakarta. We, we, we meet all over the place. But then it's so easy when you don't like someone else in your local community group now for you to just zoom into another community group for the whole time being, right? And you just completely avoid that situation. And again, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to be able to monitor things like that, to be able to counsel things like that, or even to notice things like that as a pastor in the local church, because man, we're not with one another. We're not seeing these things occur. We're not reading the body language. We're not seeing the conflicts occur. And that ties it in with a lot of what else we see going on in culture out there right now and of which we're a part, but probably feel more alienated from than ever before. But this, this idea of conflict, Gray, you know, you raise a really good point that the tone of conflict and, and, and sort of opposition out there in social media and in some of the political posturing that we see today, you know, the, the fact that it's been amped up to 11 over the course of this lockdown probably is tied in to this idea of the, of these dis, disembodied interactions. I mean, we've all, you know, it's been long known that on social media, it's much easier to say something when you're not looking somebody in the face. Right. And I've seen even over the course of the last, you know, the last few months, pastors who I know would not say certain things to their congregation members going on social media and saying things that I know they would never say, you know, otherwise personally in front of someone where you see the person get hurt. Right. And you see the person's face drop. Right. And yet they'll say it on social media when you're just yelling it out into the void. And I'm serious. I mean, I'm seeing this on a variety of different issues, political and cultural and pandemic related and otherwise. And that's, again, I think one of those things that we're losing when we're not together and sharing space and actually experiencing uh, much more of the whole of the person with whom we're communicating you turn people into abstractions and they're much easier to objectify and treat in an objective, uh, stereotypical way. And it's very dangerous for the life of the church. Right. And it's another reason why we ought to long to be back together again. It's so uh, interesting how we could easily take the greatest commandment to love God and think that we, and yes, say we are holding to it by, maintaining our own individual worship, uh, but almost use that perhaps, you know, in the spirit of what we've just been talking about, but use that almost as an excuse to not love our neighbor and thus, you know, don't gather in worship. So, you know, the idea could be, you know, uh, I'm loving God. That's why I'm doing this virtual worship. uh, And that's all I need. Sort of this, uh, as Tommy mentioned, this me and Jesus thing, when there might be a, you know, a member that you may not want to be with, or reconcile with and 
then you just use this, you know, it's just this me and Jesus thing as an excuse to not talk to so-and-so. And, you know, I guess, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to necessarily over psychologize this, but, uh, but, you know, the first John, as you know, does say something like if you say you love God, but hate your neighbor, you know, th- th- you can't do that. Uh, there's, there's something wrong with that confession and, uh, uh, and something that really has to be probed deeply. Uh, I, I love Paul, the, you know, to want to want to gather. And Gray, I also appreciate what you were saying earlier to remember that it's a command. There are times we don't want to do things, but yet we still need to do it uh, because the Lord commands it. Reminds me of my wife that she wants me to want to do the dishes. It's not enough that I do the dishes. I have to want to do the dishes. My response is, why in God's earth would I want to do the dishes? I, I do it. That's not enough. I mean, come on, give me a break. One thing you could do while doing dishes, Peter, is listen to podcasts. That That is a real great way of redeeming the time. I will do that. We've been, uh, I will say, we've been wor- worshiping virtually still. Um, our church has opened up to, you know, invitational, well, not invitation, you know, RSVP only services and, and all that kind of stuff. But we have continued to worship virtually, even though I think we all do want to return. And Part of it is actually the kind of the pol- the the polarization uh, that that was mentioned here. You know that this has become such a such a charged issue, and it make, it does make me wonder what other barriers we can remove and 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 help people to 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 return. It, it's not just that we return; it's how we return because there is no vaccine, there is no silver bullet right now. Uh, hopefully there will be at some point, but there is no there is no silver bullet right now to take care of this, and so returning isn't just kind of going back to normal. We've got to do it in a way that protects people, in a way that protects people's consciences. And it's interesting; it's been very political and very polarized. But there's actually a lot of great biblical principles on this. You know, they're all. Uh, in the New Testament, they're all couched under freedom of conscience issues and weaker brother issues and the Jew-Gentile problem as it manifests itself in the first century world. But there's a lot in scripture about how to how people with different views and different takes on things can use their freedom to serve one another. And I wish we were having that kind of dialogue, not should I wear a mask or shouldn't I wear a mask, but rather how do I, in this new age, protect my own conscience before the Lord while also seeing someone else as better than myself, right? The, the biblical ethic of pursue the unity that comes from Christ, consider the other better than yourself, more important than yourself, and, and apply that to all of, these, all of these difficult situations. I think you're right. I think this opportunity to serve each other is one that we can't miss and is so often not what at least in the west i think we're often looking for we're looking for how can i be served and we are now getting opportunity to serve others and to think about how do we use our strengths and our skills and our resources to um come alongside those who who are in need particularly during this time whether it's because of pre-existing health conditions or lack of technical savvy um you know our church has come up with some interesting ways of trying to make it possible for people to gather together and you can see the sensitivity to the congregation 
in the choices that they've offered. And yet no one thinks it's, it's the perfect solution, but we do have opportunity to help each other, whether or not that's sitting in a, you know, if your church has a parking lot and the weather is permitting and you can sit in a parking lot as we've been doing for the last few weeks. Um, but we've also been leaving the, uh, you know, leaving certain services that are, are better attended by the, by the elderly and those who need to not be exposed to a bunch of young kids right now. Um, so, you know, there, there's all these different options on, on how to serve one another. And um, it, it's kind of a glorious opportunity that we have to do that as we are seeking, as we've been talking about in this podcast, you know, seeking to be more cruciform, to be more like Christ and uh, to embody him in our own interfamily relationships. Yeah, that, Tommy, uh, I actually did do value uh, what you were just saying as, as I value everything that you say and share. But um, I, I guess, you know, I, I fear that maybe, um, you know, we, we can come across as sort of this sort of chest thumping uh, you know, pulpit banging. Yeah, we got to gather and worship and at all costs type thing. And 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 yes, when everything is now returned back to normal and COVID is a distant memory and there are no longer risks out there, then and you know we definitely can do that. But in in the meantime, uh, as you mentioned, and as both Scott has mentioned earlier, yeah, there there are people who are you know genuinely concerned and uh, and and fearful and not wanting to take risks and others who are really at risk. And, 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 and I agree, we, it's something we have to be very, uh, very sensitive to. And I, I guess either position, whether uh, we say, yes, we should gather in the current situation with COVID out there, that's a, real, that's a real threat to gather for worship and to stay at home for live worship. Neither one of them can really be kind of absolutized as thus saith the Lord. The only thing we can say is required of us is that we do worship and we take the creative opportunities that are before us to do that and and follow the lead of our church leaders who have op, uh, opened up those opportunities and uh, at the same time be sensitive and uh, gracious and uh, and loving to those who decide to worship in their own different ways uh, whether it is to gather live and and be willing to do that or or stay at home. And I'd like to think instead of maybe throwing accusations back and forth at each other, that maybe we can do something like, you know, reach out to those who are staying at home and try to extend some level of Christian fellowship and bond with them and uh, realize that, uh, that uh, just a phone call, an email, just maybe even a drop by the house, you know, with prior notice and just chatting outdoors over an open, you know, like a little, outdoor fireplace, roasting marshmallows, drinking coffee. I mean, I, I, you know, there, there are really, I think, very creative ways that, that, uh, that we as God's people can take to still love God and love each other. Yeah. And um, that's something I, I think I just really, uh, I, I, have, I have valued and I have genuinely appreciated amongst church leaders and, and fellow believers as well, the, the innovation, the creativity that we have tried to take to stay obedient you know, to, to follow the command of God uh, as is given to us that we can't do as we have been doing, but still do so and, and just take a, a, an adapted different uh, way of still doing that. So, I think it's so important because, you know, we, yes, we want to gather. Yes, we want to be together again. 
yes, worship is inescapably corporate, but it also matters how we worship. Not just that we're a body, but the way in which the body manifests itself as Christ's body and the union thereof. There's an ethic to that, to, to, to the way in which we relate to one another uh, corporately. And, th and that ethic is pretty clearly defined in scripture. Love is a good word for it. But uh, another good word for it that I think might be more immediately applicable in these times is uh, Peter's word, honor everyone, uh, honor one another. And how do mask wearers honor non-mask wearers? How do uh, non-mask wearers honor mask wearers? I, one of the things that we need and the dialogue that we need to have is that in our differences, which are uh, so, uh, you know, as, as Scott mentioned, the the division is kind of taken up to 11 as it were in that court in that environment where it's going to be more charged when we return and more difficult to love one another when we return how do we find tangible ways to honor one another in our corporate life paul says he he will become all things to all men so that by all means the gospel might be proclaimed. Uh, how do we how do we do that in the COVID era? And one of the things that's really interesting to me and and encouraging to me in, in the midst of the the polarization is to see this kind of etiquette arise. Peter, you and I were talking about this offline a couple of days ago. There, there's there's an etiquette that has kind of arisen as people try to relate to one another around COVID and. Etiquette is one of those things that you can get, you can look at and say, think, oh, you know, the fork is on the wrong side of the uh, uh, the place setting, or they haven't folded the napkin the right way. And how silly is that? Um, etiquette's just kind of these silly rules. But really, etiquette is a way of showing honor to one another. It's a way of of saying, I care about you, and I care about what what you care about, and I'm going to adapt my behavior to demonstrate that for you. I think thinking through your relationships, the relationships around you, both in the, in the home and at church and your neighbors, and how are they talking about these kinds of things? How are they showing honor to one another uh, in, in this COVID era will be an important way in which we manifest the unity of the body of Christ, even at church. Well, that's a great place to finish this discussion, everybody. As we go forward, how do we love and honor and respect the bride that Christ loves and honors and respect? And how do we love, honor, and respect the individual members, even those who may disagree with us on issues? And we have a great opportunity to do that in this current context of pandemic and lockdown when there's so much that's um, honestly uncertain and, and new. Even even saying though that something's unprecedented now seems like an old thing since we've been saying it for months. But you know, as you're watching the news and you're seeing the medical developments, you're realizing this still is pretty unprecedented. We're still not sure what to do and how to rightly respond. And so we need a lot of grace for each other, and we need a lot of love and honor and respect, as Tommy just pointed out. Well, thanks everybody for this conversation. We look forward to coming back together again next week and discussing uh, new issues on the horizon. And until then, take care.
No, no follow up there, guys. I just uh, did. I change. The, I changed the topic radically. I guess it's a hearty amen, Tommy. That's what happens. It was uh, a mic bro- no, It was comment. a good summary, concluding comment. I, I felt like it was. Paul's saying it's a good time to land the plane. It was a mic drop, Tommy. Everything that was anticlimactic. <laughs>